Good day, listeners. Jonathan Darty here with another edition of the Pure Sex Radio program. Pure Sex Radio is produced by Be Broken Ministries. Be Broken's mission is to help men, women, and families move from sexual brokenness to wholeness in Christ and equip others to do the same. This episode is a special bonus. Our guest is Matt Riley, the development director of our ministry. Matt will share his story of sexual brokenness and addiction and the recovery road that he has traveled. Story is a core value of our ministry. It matters to know that others have experienced some of the feelings and challenges we too have faced. This is why we want you to hear Matt's story, that you might gain some hope and insight into your own story and discover next steps that will help you keep going in your own journey. For resources, visit BeBroken.com or check out links in today's show notes. And please rate and review the podcast after listening to help others find it. Now, let's listen in to Matt's story. All right. Well, Matt Riley, how you doing? I'm, I'm good, Jonathan. It's, it's, uh, it's an honor really to be on, on Pure Sex Radio today. Yeah. So, uh, Matt, you are our Director of Development here at Be Broken Ministries. And uh, today I thought what we would do is have you on so that um, folks could hear your story. We want to we want to uh, show people what God has done in your life in terms of uh, your own history of sexual brokenness and recovery, um, and then talk about how you landed here at Be Broken, and then what you actually do, and why is that important for any of our listeners to know about. So let's start with your story. Where did it all start? Yeah, yeah, I definitely appreciate being here. Um, you know, I've had a lot of great chances to get to know people in the Be Broken community and uh, share my story a little bit on a one-on-one basis, but definitely, um, you know, want people to know who I am. So I'm not just that strange guy who's, who's randomly calling every once in a while. Um, but yeah, so so kind of my story. Um, so I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, you know, my dad was a psychologist, uh, still is. My mom was a stay-at-home uh, mom, uh, I was public schooled. Uh, my parents were, were pretty involved, actually, though, in, in my in my public schooling. So they they definitely uh, they cared a lot. Uh, they cared about me and my sisters and, uh, you know, were active in our in our lives. Um, but as a family, we really didn't talk about feelings. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I partially because of that, partially just because of, you know, who I was, um, you know, kind of my character, my, uh, you know, who I am, uh, I would, I was a stuffer. So like, I would just kind of stuff emotions, stuff emotions, stuff emotions, explode, stuff emotions, stuff emotions, stuff emotions, explode. Right. And it was kind of this, this ongoing cycle. And of course I, I would look like a fool when I would explode. Um, but also kind of, there's, there's just one family story that really, uh, played into that a lot. It was my, my grandfather, my paternal grandfather, who was a, a pastor. And when he was, I think in seminary, he was in, I think it was when he was training to be a pastor. He and a few other uh, preachers uh, were doing some kind of like, you know, youth event or something. And they basically like kind of bet with each other who could get more people to respond to an altar call. And so they actually used like emotional manipulation to do it. And it scared my grandfather so much that he kind of swung to the other side uh, and so his lifelong ministry was very, you know, rational and very much, you know, focused on thinking. And it was, I mean, it was powerful ministry. I mean, thousands of people came to know Christ uh, through my grandfather. But at the same time, you know, there was this, um, you know, this this fear of emotions, fear of feelings and what that could be in the Christian life. And so, of course, that, you know, filters down through the generations uh, and, you know, kind of was, was an important uh, part of, of my growing up. Um and so faith became entirely rational uh, and entirely a, a cognitive experience. 
Um, and so as I grew up, uh, you know, as a, as a, a child, you know, like any, any kid really, uh, you know, I became curious about bodies. I became curious about, you know, girls and what's, you know, what are our bodies and what's going on with that. Um, but the idea of talking to my parents really never crossed my mind. Like they never really initiated those conversations. And so as a kid, I didn't really think, well, I can ask my parents about this. Um, it just, because there wasn't just, just wasn't that connection. And, um, you know, the assumption was I had, I had to figure it out on my own, uh, and, and kind of do that. And so, you know, I, I also grew up with just, just these feelings of, of not being wanted, not being loved. Again, my parents love me. Like I've done a lot of healing now. I can look back and realize, Hey, my parents like do really love me. Um, you know, they're imperfect surprise, right? We all are. But, uh, for some reason I just, that was just this recurring thought in my head. Like I'm, I'm not wanted. About love, people just kind of my family just pities me, and that's the only reason why you know they, they really care uh, or or feed me or anything, right? Um, and so you know, with these feelings and emotions and just the this you know sexual you know confusion, I'm trying to understand what 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 really is in in life. Um, you know, I just started trying to explore my own. So I'd explore on you know my dolls and uh, you know in my imagination and you know look up in encyclopedias and things like that. Um, you know, I began masturbating at a very young age, uh, although I don't remember when I first discovered it cause it just kind of, it happened. Uh, and you know, it was something I assumed I was just kind of peeing myself. Like I didn't know there was a lot of obviously embarrassment and shame that went with that. Um, but again, I didn't have anyone to talk to. And so it just kind of kept progressing, uh, on and on until I guess, you know, it was in my early teen years that and a notice had, had gone home from school saying, you know, hey, we're going to do sex ed, right? Because back then schools would like tell you, tell parents that this was happening. Uh, and so my parents were kind of like, oh, you know, we probably should do something. <laughs> we should probably say something and talk to them about this. Um, and, you know, it, you know, I, the impression I had gotten was, you know, it, that this was me imposing on my parents. That, you know, they were reluctant to talk about this and it was my fault that they had to talk about it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I was misinterpreting that, but that's how I, how I felt and that's how I, what I saw uh, and that they were, you know, I felt they were annoyed at me for the inconvenience. And so unfortunately, uh, you know, the talk I had with my dad is, 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 a, is family legend now. And you never want <laughs> something about your sexuality to be family legend. Sure, yeah. Um, and, and, and right, so, so the way that the family legend goes, is that, you know, my mom and my sisters left the house while my dad and I were playing Nintendo, Tecmo Super Bowl, best game ever. Uh, I would beat him almost every single time. But, uh, you know, so they left. We were playing Nintendo. They got home not too much long, you know, not too much later, and we were still playing Nintendo. Um, but during that Nintendo time, you know, we actually had stopped and paused it for a little bit and went to a table. And my dad brought out a book, and I have no idea what that book was to this day. Um, you know, he asked me, well, do you know what sex is? And I said, uh, it's when a man makes love to a woman. I had no idea what I was saying. Right. I had no idea what that meant. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'd be like, yeah, okay. I remember nothing else about the short conversation except for that. We went back and played Nintendo again. Um, and so my, my sexuality became really a family joke. Um, and something that we laughed about. Um, and of course I would laugh, right. And I put that out on the outside, but on the inside, you know, I was, I was broken and I was, I was felt shame and, and, you know, I began uh, 
you know, really into a descent into pornography. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know when my first exposure to pornography was. I remember two, two of the kind of first ones. One was a sleepover uh, at my grandparents' house with my cousin. And my cousin made, you know, introduced me to it. Again, I don't remember if someone first or not. But he also had said something about, oh, well, I've seen, I've seen grandpa do that, do this. You know, this is my, my pastor grandfather. And I don't, to this day, I don't, I think my cousin was probably lying, but I don't know. Um, and then the other time I was tricked uh, by one of my friends, um, well, that's <laughs> a loose term, uh, but to go to his house where he and a group of people were watching pornography. And so, you know, these things started and I started, you know, watching on, you know, blurred channels on, on my home, my TV in my room. Uh, you know, when I began dating, I would push boundaries of, of girlfriends um, and really just became obsessed with wanting to be wanted. Mm -hmm. And pornography was one of those things that filled that desire. Um, you know, just trying to find a girlfriend, trying to find any girl who would, you know, want to want to spend time with me. Uh, you know, really played into that. Went off to college, went to a Christian school because I, I just knew, like, if I went to a secular school, I was I was done for in, in my faith. Um, but even in a Christian school, you know, again, I masturbating almost every night to fall asleep. I had, I had sleep issues. Um, you know, fantasies were always revolved around, you know, being wanting to be wanted, uh, feeling unloved. Um, and I, I could never find anyone to help keep me accountable. Um, but of course I was also always expecting someone to do the hard work for me. Sure. Right. And so, you know, so I was searching for that, but really not having a clue what that really meant for me to do and what that work looked like for me. Um, you know, met, met who, uh, met my wife in college and we got married. You know, I knew that, you know, I knew marriage doesn't fix the problem. Right. We, we, we talk about this, we know this. Um, and I knew it in my head, but at the same time it was like, well, yeah, but it will. Right. Um, and of course it didn't, uh, you know, we, we entered into our marriage and really, really actually hated each other for the last few, for the first few years. Um, it just, it was a miserable experience. Um, our first couple of years of marriage, actually a lot of the years of marriage. And, and um, Matt, Hey, on, on that front, how much would you say, you know, cause going into marriage, even if you had the knowledge of, Hey, I know this doesn't cure the problem. Um, how much would you say that a lot of that that misery that you were having in your relationship stemmed from the fact that you had a huge uh, core fear issue of of intimacy and closeness? You also had very little training about what bonding looked like, which means you also had very little experience or um, knowledge about how to communicate all of those things that are going on below the surface. So, so how much would you say that that history was very much connected to the now, what you called, you know, uh, you know, misery there in the first part of your marriage? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's a great question. I'll actually give you a little illustration as I answer that. So one of the, <laughs> we laugh about this now. Um, we had a, a, a toothbrush holder in our bathroom. And you know, it was one of those toothbrush holders that had the four holes in it, right? And there's only two of us. So I would always put my toothbrush caddy corner from hers because you know, they're toothbrushes. I don't want them bumping up against each other and it'd be gross. But she would always put her toothbrush next to mine because she wanted our, our toothbrushes to be close because she wanted us to be close. 
we didn't know about this, right? So we, we never talked about this, but all, all we know is that our toothbrushes kept chasing each other around this thing for, for months until we found out and we kind of laughed about it. But I think that was really descriptive of our relationship, right? So I had these feelings of not being wanted, not being loved, and that was a brokenness inside of me. So when an imperfect person like my wife, right, as we all are, tried to love me, I didn't receive that because of my brokenness. So, you know, this, my inability to feel love, my inability to connect um, was a major part of the dysfunction in our relationship. And she, of course, had some of, some of those her, herself. Um, and so we didn't, you know, I didn't know how to connect with my wife. That would I didn't be... know how to hear myself or know her or feel that, feel that connection. Would you say that a lot of your inability to receive love that was actually being attempted to give to you um, was because it wasn't maybe be, being given in the way you envisioned it or that you had hoped or that you wanted? I mean, had you created in your mind a way in which you thought love should be given to you or should be expressed? And if it didn't fit that mold, I mean, what was the what was blocking you from being able to receive even the love that your wife was trying to give to you? Yeah, I think I think it'd be uh, a, a few reasons. One, I just I couldn't receive love. So I think even if um, she had done things in the way that I had the preconceived notion of, I probably still wouldn't have received it. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I had those preconceived notions um, that would probably fit more into, you know, you know, I forget how people were like, you know, being more like Jesus and less like a porn star, right? Like that whole idea. Um, that, you know, I expected, well, she's my wife, so she should be, you know, like super sexual and always coming on to me. Um, but yet even in those times where she would do things like that, I wouldn't receive it. Right. Um, because I was so broken. So it was like, it was, it was both. Like I was that messed up where I had these preconceived notions that she had to fit, but even if she fit them, I wasn't receiving it. So what happened next in your story then? I mean, obviously, I know I know you now. So kids came into the picture at some point. Like, what was happening in family life, and what was also happening in your brokenness? Yeah. So um, you know, so we were uh, for our first few years of marriage, uh, we were both in seminary. So I was preparing to be a, a pastor, um, and she was actually getting her master's in counseling. And so, uh, of course, during that time, we also have our first two kids. Uh, we have four kids now. Um, but it was you know, a hard time. So actually it was when she was pregnant with our first child was the first time she, she caught me, um, looking at pornography. Uh, she had known, I had told her, you know, when we were dating that it was an issue. Um, but of course, you know, I worded it well, right? So it didn't seem like a big issue, but you know, she caught me and, you know, got some help and whatever and, uh, did some work and then, uh, but then it wasn't talked about again. And it really, I was just kind of trying to do some white knuckle sobriety because I didn't know better. I didn't know really what I was doing. I, I didn't know really what I needed to heal from. I didn't know the importance of healing. Uh, and so, you know, that happened. Um, you know, I got some help, but in reality, I didn't really want to stop because I just wanted the consequences to stop. I didn't want her to be mad at me. Right. Um, and so, you know, then, you know, so I was pregnant with our first child. We had our second child. Actually, I named her, uh, I named her Grace. Actually, it's a, a, a different language for her name, but her name means Grace because it was at that time I started to actually get a lot more um, understanding of the grace of Christ in my life um, in seminary, right? <laughs> so, uh, so we had that. 
Um, you know, graduated from seminary, we, we moved, I started pastoring, uh, had two pretty miserable um, pastoral experiences. Um, and I always saw myself kind of as, as, as not kind of, I always saw myself as the martyr, right, as the victim you know, okay, here we're in this, this one, one church where like people are just like, and they, and they were they, I mean, it, the first church was bad, right? Like people were attacking my family. They were pushing uh, really non, you know, kind of heretical viewpoints on things, um, you know, unhealthy sexuality. But again, I didn't handle it well because of where I was because of my, my pain. So I, instead of, you know, saying, wow, like there's things I could be doing better. It was, oh, they're all horrible. And I'm, I'm, I'm all good. Uh, and of course, Within that, then falling back into pornography again, um, just from the stress and not being able to deal with it, uh, you know, and, um, you know, bad things were happening, certainly, in my life, um, but it was my mindset that was the problem, and I didn't know that. Uh, and so, went on to and pastored another church. Um, at that time, uh, Catherine caught me a second time. Um, and, uh, you know, at that point, it looked like our, our marriage was possibly over, but I, I gaslighted, I really emotionally twisted the moment and, and not knowing it, right. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know I was doing that, but that's essentially what I did. And, and then we kind of, you know, we stayed together, uh, you know, started seeing a counselor and the counselor was pretty good, um, for marriage stuff, but he really didn't know, um, sexual brokenness stuff. And so we didn't really start addressing that. Um, but again, I wasn't aware of that. I didn't understand that. I didn't know that. So I thought, okay, we're doing great. We're doing better. You know, and, but it, it was really for my sexuality, it was only these band-aids um, that were being put on, you know, and, you know, I was, I actually went into about a, I don't know, like a four-year period of sobriety. At least I wasn't masturbating and I wasn't looking at pornography, right? I was still, my mind was still filled with sure. stuff. I was still looking things like that, but at least, oh, at least I'm not looking at pornography, I'm not masturbating, um, you know, and so I was like, okay, and so, and at that time, we felt that, um, you know, God was calling us to what, what I would say publicly is international work in a large Asian country, because um, I have friends there who I still, so I got to be careful, honestly, when I put anything out, um, publicly about what we were doing. So we did that kind of international work for four years, loved it there. Um, but again, the stress, um, and some of the, some horrible things that had happened really, you know, again, led me back down that, that road of, of looking at pornography. Um, and because I still had that brokenness inside that I wasn't dealing with, that I didn't understand. Um, and so even while we're, you know, in this amazing place, doing ministry, um, sharing, sharing the good news of, of God with students, uh, you know, inside I was filled with shame and just, again, just falling down farther and farther and farther. So um, then, so then so, what, what did, uh, you know, sometimes people, when we, when we share our stories, especially those of us who've, you know, we've lived on both sides of the fence, so to speak, in the sense of we've got all this story of addiction and brokenness and then, We've also got a side of recovery, which we're getting to eventually in your in your story. But sometimes I think when people are hearing the story of, of brokenness um, after the fact, meaning that it's in our history in the, in the sense of our addictive behaviors and all of that, 
sometimes there can be this sense in, of people that are observing or listening to that story and saying, um, oh, so you were, you were probably just, you know, enjoying all of your acting out. You know, you're probably just, you know, gleeful at all of the things that you were doing. You mentioned gaslighting. Yeah, you were unaware because you were probably just so um, taken up in your in your addictive behaviors. Can you describe a little bit about what's what their truth actually is in the sense of the conflicted feelings mm, yeah. that you have? Because you mentioned it. You you grew you grew up in the church. These things are happening in your life as you have a relationship with Christ. There's a conflict going on in you. Can you describe a little bit about that conflicted nature that it's not as if you're quote unquote happy in your addiction? Yeah, it's so it's that weird conflict, right? Because I wasn't happy, right? I was I was miserable. I was filled with shame. But at the same time, porn was my only friend Uh, because the only friend I allowed in. Mm -hmm. Right. Like my wife could have been my friend, uh, but I wasn't allowing that. And so, you know, on one hand, yeah, obviously pornography was was physically enjoyable. There was there was a part of me that that I'll say needed it. although that's probably not the best word, uh, because there was that hole. And so, hey, it was a friend that was always going to accept me, a friend that was never going to judge me. Um, And so I had that aspect. But on the other end, and and I really wanted to do it, right? But on the other end, there was this misery to it. There was like, oh, man, I'm going to do it again. I don't want to do it. I don't want to be controlled by it. And the recognition that I was being controlled, um, that became more and more clear. Uh, and then, of course, the shame that would come after it um, and, and realizing oh, I failed again. I'm, I'm weak. I'm, I'm miserable. I'm horrible. No one loves me. No one accepts me. Um, and so it would just be that cycle. And those cycles would start, you know, a couple months to go through that cycle. And it, it always got tighter and tighter and tighter and closer and closer and closer um, until where it kind of came near the end. Um, we had some, some really... Um, really difficult, really hard things that happened to us as a family uh, in our last year in Asia. Um, and unfortunately, it led to our our missions agency actually um, kicking us out of the country and um, kind of treating the victims as the as the as the perps. But, um, you know, as as that happened and, you know, my my wife and kids went back to America, I stayed there for about a week to get everything packed up. Um, I just used that opportunity. It, the cycle was multiple times a day. I mean, I was I was done. I was gone. Um, actually, got drunk one day in the morning. <laughs> um, I was I I had hit rock bottom. Um, finally, mm-hmm. hit rock bottom in my addiction, um, which you know for me, fortunately, was never um, physical affair with anyone. It was never an emotional affair with anyone. It was all pornography and masturbation and fantasy. Um, I don't know how, um, how it didn't progress to that. But um, so, you know, it had hit rock bottom and came back to the States. And, uh, you know, obviously, okay, we were not planning to come back to the States. I needed a job. So I started job job searching and we're, we're broken um, from things that had happened as a family. And um, so I found, so I had actually reached out to an old um, uh, person I used to work with said, hey, when I used to work with that, with the, with the rescue mission, you know, what was my job title? I need to put my, my resume out there. And she said, 
oh, well, here's your job title. And by the way, we're hiring right now. So I got this job working with the Keystone Rescue Mission in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And um, got the job, started one day. I'm still jet lagged, but started. Um, and the next day, I actually had a day off because it was a weird schedule then. And that next day, um, a friend of mine who I was actually supposed to be the best man in his wedding um, was also going to invite a family that had done a lot of damage to us. And there was no way I was going to be able to be, and I, I, I think I would still make the same choice today uh, from health, uh, be in the same place as that, mm. as that family. And I had to tell my friend, like, I can't be in your wedding. Mm. And I was at such a low broken point when Catherine said, um, my wife, she said, you know, you, you're going through such a hard time. Like, how have you been able to stay away from porn. <laughs> and I couldn't keep lying at that moment. Right. I, not that I wanted to tell the truth. I was just so broken. I, I, I just couldn't keep the facade up anymore. And she went so numb. Um, you know, knowing what my dad as a, as a marriage counselor had said, you know, basically if, when a wife like goes emotionless, like usually the marriage is done. I figured we were done. Yeah. Uh, I figured our, our marriage had absolutely no chance um, because I figured she, she, she had had enough. She was done with it. Um, and so for, you know, a month or so, it was just, it was just like that, just constant tension. Um, but that's when God started giving me those lifelines. Uh, and so, you know, I think it was that week at work, my uh, supervisor was talking about, you know, how important transparency is. And so I was like, all right, guess I'm going to be transparent. <laughs> so I told her about what was going on. Uh, and she, to this day has been like a mother to me. Um, still is mm -hmm. called her the other day for her birthday. And, um, she just for months poured into me, poured into me, poured into me, helped me, loved me, loved my wife. Um, I, uh, you know, started to, uh, you know, figure out, okay, I'm going to do a 12 step group. So I found celebrate recovery. Um, and so I was doing that for a while. And um, actually, the guy who was my sponsor at my um, Celebrate Recovery 12-step group was a, a Gateway to Freedom alumni. Mm -hmm. And so that's my first, when I first started hearing about Be Broken, right? And so this guy, I mean, he's, he's still, again, someone I talk with and uh, just poured into my life and helped me out. Um, and I would just, because of I just want to say any, yeah. any of our listeners that are new to the program, Gateway to Freedom is our three-day intensive workshop for men who want to overcome any kind of unwanted sexual behaviors. And so when Matt mentioned Gateway to Freedom, that's a, a guy that had come through that workshop. And so it's pretty cool. I mean, that was a really cool connection because, um, and that's a really special man. He's a, he's an incredible guy. We're, <clears throat> we're friends to this day. And I think it's been 10 or 12 years ago that he came through the workshop. So um, pretty neat connection there. So tell me, uh, what, yeah. what did healing look like for you, for your marriage? And then what ultimately, uh, landed you at be broken? Yeah. Uh, so I think a big thing that, that happened and it was a, a, um, a big part of our, um, uh, you know, healing was, was one, when we had first gotten back from the States, we had this one couple come who were kind of coaches for, for uh, international workers. Again, we'll use that term. Um, but, uh, and so they had kind of started helping us transition back to the States and, and to work through some of the stuff that had happened. And when all that blew up, 
uh, I remember I was trying to just deal with it like I had always dealt with it, which was gaslighting, which was emotional manipulation, not realizing that's what I was doing, but that's what I was doing. You know, how dare you kick me out of our bed and make me sleep on the couch? You know, I have a right to be in my bed. Uh, you know, just, just that, that horrible mindset. And so the guy talked to me one night on the phone. He said, look, you know, you don't know me very well. I still don't know you very well, but you need to trust me right now and do every single thing I say and nothing else. So he, this guy, this guy, um, his name's Jonathan Rissmiller. Um, uh, he, and he's a coach to, to pastors. He's a coach to international workers. Um, he, he was my brain for a while. Uh, and I needed that because mm-hmm. I was insane. Um, you know, the, the, the early steps in the 12 step program talk about the insanity. And so that was a big step. And then, uh, we actually had gone to a, a five week long, um, we called it life rehab, uh, that we were actually sent to because of all the things that had happened overseas, but it was, you know, also God send because it helped us deal with, um, what was going there. And so at that point, um, I had some powerful EMDR, um, counseling, uh, twice a week <laughs> for five weeks. I mean, it was intense. Um, we had, um, I did a full disclosure, which is where, you know, I sit down with, with my wife, with a counselor present and, you know, I prepare it with the counselor and, and really go through, here's everything I got, I did. Um, and so she, she got to hear that and she got to then work with the counselor to work on her response. And so a response I still read on about a weekly basis. Um, her, her emotional response to knowing everything I've done. Um, and so those were like just these, you know, amazing beginnings, uh, to, to recovery. Uh, and so now I, I, I work through with an SA group, um, we've kind of went from celebrate recovery to SA, um, just again, just different times for different things. Um, but I'm part of that, you know, have a couple of guys that I, I meet with once a week that we help each other in all different aspects of life. Uh, obviously working for be broken. I have, I have you, I have Dan Wobschel who, who pour into me and check in on me and, and all those things. Um, but I think for me, some of the kind of one of the things I want to talk about is some of the, the realizations I had and some of the resources I had that really helped me out. Um, you know, one of the realizations that, that really, that God brought was that I didn't really want recovery in the past. Um, and I'm not saying that's everybody, right? That's, that's, it's not prescriptive. It's dis- descriptive. Um, but I really didn't like porn. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really filling that hole in me and I didn't realize the hole and I didn't realize there was better ways to do it. Um, there was a certain level of familiarity with it, even within all that shame. Um, and so for me, part of it was, I didn't in the past want to break free from, it. I just didn't want consequences. Um, you know, that realization that I was truly insane, um, realization that there's a difference between sobriety and recovery, mm. uh, you know, between just, you know, white knuckling it, you know, trying really hard, but, or recovery where you're actually healing and growing. Um, the realization I'm not beyond saving, uh, Romans eleven thirty two has become such a powerful verse in my life. Uh, it says for God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Mm. Uh, that's just always been a powerful um, sense, sense recovery that like, oh, wait, we're all in the same boat. Mm-hmm. Um, and God has mercy. Uh, learning that temptation is not sin. 
Uh, again, that was a bad thing. Like if I was tempted in something, I just assumed I was already, I had already fallen. And so though there wasn't that, you know, logical, well, if I've already fallen, I might as well, oh, I guess sometimes there was that, right? right. <laughs> sometimes it was underhanded. Um, I read this one great quote by one of the early desert fathers um, said, it is not because evil thoughts come to us that we are condemned, but only because we make use of the evil thoughts. Mm -hmm. It can happen that from these thoughts, we suffer shipwreck, but it can also happen that because of them, we may be crowned. Um, and that, that was a powerful thing. Uh, you know, I learned that my, my job as a husband and as a father is to serve totally to serve. That is what we're called to do because that's how Christ loved the church. Um, and I learned that healthy detachment is a good thing. And I know you've had, uh, Carla Downing on this, on the show before, yeah. um, she's got some great work on detachment. And, you know, what I realized is my, my wife's ability to detach in a healthy way from me helped me move into recovery and has helped us now to now continue to build a very healthy growing and healthier relationship with each other. Um, and then resources, some of the books that were, were big for me, uh, Abba's child by Brendan Manning, um, helped me realize that God is the lover of mankind. And that is, I'm, I'm one of those, right. I'm one of those people he loves. Um, Three books called Leadership and Self-Deception, Anatomy of Peace, and Outward Mindset from the Arbinger Institute. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily recommend a lot of the stuff they put out. Um, and there's some weird things in these books. But at the same time, those books really showed me how to, to love other people, how to know other people, how to care about other people. Um, Worthy of Her Trust, Jason Martinkus. I think uh, he recently had his wife on, on the podcast. Mm -hmm. um, you know, basically how to actively build my marriage and build that trust with my wife again. Uh, that was a powerful one. Um, at the Altar of Sexual Idolatry, uh, Steve Gallagher. I don't agree with everything he puts in the book. He seems, seems to be, I think, a little bit down on counseling and 12-step groups, but at the same time, the importance of God's word and how powerful that can be um, was a strength in that book. Um, uh, then Secrets, uh, which is one of your books, which I think is one of the gems that Be Broken has that um, we don't necessarily put out there a lot. But uh, <laughs> to, to hear your story, and I read my, you know, I, I look at my story and I read your story, and like our ways of acting out were very different. But there's that same story that undergirds so much of it. Mm -hmm. um, and that brokenness that just is so similar from guy to guy. Yeah. Um, and then Pure Sex Radio. Uh, I'm now talking on a podcast that has been <laughs> a big part of my recovery and my healing and my health um, and just learning emotional health and learning relational health. And, uh, you know, Pure Sex Radio has been has been has been that for me. And it means that I think for thousands of people, which is awesome. Yeah. Well, hey, as, as we wrap up, Matt, um, just I'd love for you to share just a little bit about what it uh, what. What you do at Be Broken and and why that's important and kind of how that's come full circle for you in ministry. Um, because one of the things yeah. that, uh, you know this, one of the things that I'm telling you all the time is you're just our lead pastor to our champions. So, you know, sometimes people see that development director title and they're like, oh, this is the guy that's you know trying to squeeze money out of me. Um, but the reality is I think God God was preparing you in a lot of different ways not the least of which was the the training that you had in being a pastor and then also the training that you've had in your own personal recovery to have maybe a different way to sit in that seat as a development director. Um, can you share a little bit about that and then 
how you've kind of seen that come full circle for you in your in your own life. Yeah, and I've definitely had conversations with with some of our champions who, you know, they are so skeptical. They're like, "Why are you calling me? You just want money." Like, and I've actually had some admit. And then when I say, "Well, no, I'm actually," and they're like, "Oh, okay." Um, <laughs> it's been kind of funny. So yeah, so I got involved with Be Broken. So you know, I was listening to to Pure Sex Radio. I you know, I had the the sponsor and a mentor who who was connected with Be Broken. Uh, and the job I had at the mission was great. It it just didn't pay enough for a family of six. And um, so I figured, okay, you know, as as we I, I got pretty far, in, you know, a good part into recovery is like, okay, like it's time to now figure out what my next career is. I don't want to be a pastor again. I was horrible at it. And I actually hated it. Um, but okay. So what's next? And, uh, as I was thinking about it and, and, and looking and, and trying to figure out what it was, the thought came to me, I want to be a development director for a sexual wholeness ministry. There's not a lot of people who usually wake up one day and say, that's what they want. Right? Like, um, so I decided, okay, I've been getting this newsletter from be broken every month. I've never actually looked at it. Um, but I'm going to look at this one, right? And look at it, and, and you had put this prayer request for, you know, pray for us as we're starting to kind of look at hiring, possibly. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was very vague, actually, if I remember correctly, uh, for a development director. And so I, I think I emailed you or I called you at that point and said, hey, like, I'm interested. Uh, and so we did, you know, we had some conversations, and then we had, a, you know, the, the job interview, and then uh, more job interview, and um, for some crazy reason, you decided to hire me. Um, and I remember early on uh, working, I got, I was talking to one of our, um, one of our ministry partners, and you know, from another ministry, and she was hearing about me, getting to know me a little bit, just to welcome me into the world of sexual wholeness ministry. And she said, after I told her a little bit of my story, she said, wow, Jonathan's really taking a risk on you. I was like, yeah, he is. Like at that time, I was, what, a year and a half into recovery. Um, you know, I'm two and a half years now. Like I'm still early in this. I'm still young in this. But, um, you know, so that's how I got, got involved with Be Broken. You know, like Matt, you say to me, I just want to say, yeah. I think there's a lot of people that would have looked at uh, the selection process that Jesus made and said, he's making a real big <laughs> risk calling not only when we call when he called the first twelve, but when he's called anybody since, it's it's you know it's, yeah. it's a big risk on his part when he says he gives to us the ministry of reconciliation. So I'm just trying yeah. to uh, yeah. I'm trying to follow my master Jesus, and so <laughs> I I look at this and I say again, one of our core values here is we're grace based in our approach, and that's not just an externally mm -hmm. facing value; that's an internally facing value. And so we want to have the same grace that we want to extend to somebody that's coming to our ministry for help. We want to also extend that to the people that are on staff. And so um, I'm glad we took the risk. And and so here we are. Any final thoughts that you want to share before we wrap up? Yeah. So as, as development director, uh, you know, what I do, like you said, is I get to minister to our champions. Uh, and champions are people who are involved with Be Broken, uh, with giving serving, sharing, learning, and praying. And we have some just really great ways to connect people. So even if you're like, you know, oh, well, I can't give money, but hey, like I want to pray for Be Broken. Like we have things that I want to connect with you to, to, to pray with Be Broken, pray for us and pray for those who are served. Uh, we have ways to serve, ways to share, ways to learn. Um, and of course, and of course there's giving, right? Like let's, let's be honest. My, my role is to be a minister to our champions, but I can only do my role if I have a paycheck, right? Like, and if, if we have the money to do the resources. So obviously 
Um, having monthly givers is huge. Um, people who can um, just give money to to help, uh, you know, put the word out there, get get these resources out there, and help people. Um, and so I just I love to get into people's lives, um, text them, call them, pray for them, uh, you know, to be a part of that, and to say like, how can I, as a development director, help you? further what God's calling you to do in the area of sexual wholeness. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's my job. My job is, is to minister and help champions connect in ways that God's calling them to connect and, and to create those and find those avenues yeah. uh, for them. And it, it's been so much fun. It's such a joy to be a part of this team and to uh, just work with some great people. Yeah. Well, Matt, we appreciate you uh, sharing your story and for, for what you're doing to uh, make sure that we can continue to be reaching people all around the world with the good news of Jesus and the hope that we have in him um, as it pertains to dealing with sexual brokenness issues. So thanks for being with us and sharing your story today. Uh, thanks for the, the opportunity and just uh, you know, hope to hear from, from people. Just always feel free to reach out to me. I think let's put my you know phone number and, and email in the notes and uh you know, just reach out if you have any questions about Be Broken uh, in your own life or just how you want to be a part of different things or even getting involved with other ministries in the area. Um, you know, reach out. Love to talk with you. Yeah. Well, listeners, we are going to put a lot of uh, content in the show notes, just some of the resources that Matt mentioned, and, of course, how you can get in touch with our ministry for any further help or just to be able to come alongside and partner with us. Um, but we're glad that you've been with us, and we look forward to seeing you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio program. Take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.